Hello and welcome to the Odds Checker betting show. I'm your host, George Ellick, and this is the Premier League 2021-2022 preview. This is the big one. The Premier League is almost back. We're recording this uh, on Monday, late on Monday afternoon. So just about five days to go until the big kickoff on, on Friday night between Brentford and Arsenal. And I'm joined by three experts guests to take you through all the markets ahead of the Premier League season starting, hopefully finding some value. We've got uh, Raj Chohan from Premier League panel. Raj, we spoke last time ahead of the Euros and I was pretty amazed by the depth of your tactical knowledge and insights. So looking forward to hearing what you've got to say ahead of the Premier League season. Yeah, very excited now. Uh, I think we've had enough of a rest from the Euros. Uh, yeah, I just can't wait to get stuck into the uh, league season. Yeah, absolutely. I was there for the first game of the championship season uh, on Friday night down at the Vitality and having fans back at games was pretty incredible. And uh, if there's anybody to ask of what that might mean in terms of a a punting perspective, Mark, you're a numbers man. Uh, Mark O'Hare from We Love Betting. Return of fans. Are we going to be looking at a kind of the home advantage and the return of that this season? Yeah, I I expect so, George. Um, Obviously, home advantage. Uh, pretty much eradicated in the last 12 months or so in, in COVID times. We saw that with uh, home wins sort of going down into a negative compared to away wins in some leagues. So, yeah, I'm expecting that to be reversed. Uh, I was at a game on Saturday as well. So, um, yeah, fantastic to, to have fans back and all the old chants and referees getting the bit of stick and stuff. You know, it's like we haven't been away. So, yeah, for sure, um, home advantage back, rife, and uh, prices will reflect that too going forward. Yeah, they absolutely will. And if there's a website that rivals uh, the, the one I'm on most often during the football season compared to Odds Checker, it's definitely Who Scored. So great to have Josh Wright from Who Scored joining us today as well. Uh, yeah, great to be here. Um, I think once the Euro is finished, I was firmly against watching football ever again, but in this job, <laughs> couldn't really get away from it. But yeah, I'm, I'm ready for the season now. I've got a confession to make where I, I was at two of the, the group games Wembley I was at the Germany game and then I had to go into um isolation because I was getting married 10 days later and so I so I ended up then watching the semis so the quarters and the semis with my future in-laws just sitting on the sofa who they couldn't really have cared less so it was a bit of a bit of a, a drop in terms of atmosphere and so watching us and, and I had to turn down tickets to the semis and the final and I ended up I got married the day before the final and on the Sunday watched it with kind of my family and my wife's family and I knew it wasn't meant to be and there's a part of me that was a little bit relieved that when we won the Euros I wasn't in the middle of the Lincolnshire countryside unable to go into any pubs or dance uh, on fountains somewhere in a city centre so that is probably going to make me quite unpopular in this company and anybody listening and watching but yeah that was my uh, my Euros experience. Um, <laughs> we'll get into the uh, football now because we have a lot to get through. We're going to go through the likely winners. We're going to go through the, the relegated, uh, the relegation market as well. Look at top scorers. Look at some interesting specials as well, such as the first manager to leave their post. So we've got to get started now, and we're going to start at the top end of the table, where maybe unsurprisingly, Manchester City are the odds-on favourite to retain their title. They are best price four to five. That is with Sport Nation. Chelsea just about second favourites ahead of uh, Liverpool at eleven to two. Liverpool best price. Uh, 31, well, I mean, about 11 to 2 too, but Chelsea are a bit shorter in some places. Manchester United next up at uh, at 17 to 2. And then a big gap to Leicester, Tottenham and Arsenal, who are uh, 50 to 1, 60 to 1 and 66 to 1, uh, respectively. But we'll, we'll focus on those top four. And we're going to focus firstly on Manchester City. And Raj, 
the most expensive English footballer ever now plays for Manchester City in Jack Grealish. How long that record's going to last, we don't know because Harry Kane's future is still up in the air. Um, do you? I mean, it's pretty hard to pick holes in their chances of, of going and doing it again, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, that signing has only just added to the monster squad they already got. Uh, the one hole you could probably pick as a striker from last season, Jesus was a bit inconsistent and Pep really went for a false nine system on a lot of occasions with Bernardo and KDB rotating as that false nine. But they look like they're going to solve that problem as well with Harry Kane. So if those, if they complete the Kane deal as well, I, I really can't look beyond them again. Um, the probably the one hole I can probably see in their squad is maybe that balance of the midfield. If Pep does start to tinker with it and puts, for example, a Grealish and a KDB in there, does Rodri have that defensive awareness and legs really to cover for those two? I know a lot of people are referring back to the uh, Centurions Man City side had a silver Kevin De Bruyne in midfield. But they had peak Fernandinho behind them, mopping up all those loose balls. Um, so that's probably the one area I'll be interested to see that midfield balance going forward, especially if Bernardo Silva leaves as rumoured. He does provide that industry as well off the ball. Um, so, yeah, that, that's maybe the one area. But other than that, yeah, options all over. I think one important area for them will be recovering the form of Raheem Sterling. He did obviously fade off last season. Um, and compared to their other wide options, they'll have Mares, Sterling, uh, sorry, Mares, uh, Grealish, and um, Ferran Torres. Sterling's probably the biggest goal scoring threat out of all of those. So recovering him might be uh, Pep's biggest challenge for the season ahead. Yeah, it might be fascinating to see where Grealish is going to be used by uh, Pep Guardiola. And, and Mark, there's a lot of talk about the new signings, a lot of talk about, about Grealish, a lot of talk about Kane if he does come in. But there seems to be an undercurrent here where you've got Amaric Laporte and Bernardo Silva actively asking to leave the club, despite, you know, they might have their game time um, limited compared to what they get elsewhere. But is there any concern with you that there are issues maybe behind the scenes in terms of the happiness of certain players and coming from the, the pep roulette in terms of squad selection? Yeah, that's always a concern uh, for sure. Um, you know, you can throw Gabriel Jesus into the mix as well. If he's not going to be a first choice striker, he's been in England now for a few years, so he should be settled, should be ready to to sort of make their next step. Um, obviously, he made a, a nice impact when he joined from Brazil, but things haven't really gone as swimmingly as he had hoped so far. So, yeah, that's always a concern. And I guess, especially when you're looking at the betting prices and seeing City at odds on at four to five best price, but more often than not around four to six, you know, you can't really dis disagree with those prices. They are deserved and fair favourites. But if you're looking to oppose City, then you are looking for these kind of chinks in the armoury and where they might be able to fall down and certainly players and their happiness and... You know, there's so many attacking Raj just reeled them off. There. There's so many attacking <laughs> players. I'm really not sure they needed Grealish, in fairness. I think they should have gone all out to get Kane, because if they did get Kane, they're a really frightening prospect, almost a complete team. But uh, yeah, we'll see if that deal gets done. But even still, there's still fair odds on favourites. And if, if you disagree with the market, you're basically wrong. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's difficult to sort of find those weaknesses. They've won three of the last four titles. Performance data over those four seasons have pointed them out as being quite comfortably the best team, even during 2019-20 when Liverpool ran away with the league as well. So, yeah, I mean, if they do get Kane and Grealish, it's, it's really quite a scary prospect. Mark, I agree with everything you say all the time, except for one thing there, and I've been saying it for years, every team needs Jack, Mark. Every team needs him. <laughs> so, you can't, I'm not having that at all. But, Josh, is there any is there any way you can see, you know, Man, in Man City struggling to, um, to repeat the feats of last season? Obviously, the striker issue um, is yet to be resolved but given the prices at four to five uh, can you see any reason to get against them? 
I was thinking when they when they announced Grealish, I thought, God, they're like we've been saying their team's like formidable, but sort of when I thought deeper about it and this the issues that you raised there, there does seem to be some like Guardiola doesn't seem to be completely happy. He doesn't seem to have had the ideal pre-season. Even Grealish coming in, he doesn't he doesn't know anyone. None of the England players are there. I think he's gonna have to take a bit of time to he won't get patience, but I think City fans should be a little bit patient with him to start with. Um but yeah, there's like Bernardo Silva, Laporte doesn't want to be there. It doesn't sound like a harmonious group to me. Um, and I wouldn't be, I'm not expecting a big drop drop off from City, but I I don't actually think they're going to win the title this season. I'm going against the odds. I don't think they're going to do it. Well, let's stick with you then, Josh. Who do you fancy to go and win the league? Well, um, Liam, our editor, he'll be happy with this, but um, <laughs> I actually think Chelsea, especially if they get the Lukaku do over the line, as it seems that they are. I think everyone knew going into the summer that the striker was their biggest problem. Jorginho was their top goal scorer in the league last season, and all seven of his goals were penalties, which is just bizarre. Um, and in Lukaku, they're getting a guy who scored 28 goals last season. He got 11 assists. They're like they're huge numbers. Um, and even though some Premier League fans will still try and mock Lukaku, he's what he's achieved in Italy under Antonio Conte. He's coming back a completely different striker, I think. Um, more well-rounded. Um, and that was their biggest weakness. And it's something that Man City haven't solved as of yet. And I'm not sure if they will get Harry Kane over the, over the line. Um, but yeah, with Lukaku, I think that ma- it makes Chelsea a serious problem. And of course, Tuchel has his first pre-season. Everything he achieved last season... It was him taking over midway through the season. So with a full pre-season under their belt, I think they're going to be a serious problem. Chelsea, best price, 11-2 to two currently. That is with Sporting Index, which is a win-only price. 5-1 to one they are. Uh, if you want to back them each way, most firms a third two places uh, this season. Just, I'm going to ask you, Raj, in a second, how you think Lukaku is going to fit in at Chelsea. But before you do, just something I remembered reading. I can't remember where I read it, which is bad, because I'd like to give them credit. But there's, there was a great story about Guardiola this summer where he apparently, when he's on the golf course, I don't know if you saw this, when he's on the golf course, he refuses to talk, to talk about football. It's his rules. When he's playing golf, he doesn't talk about football. He was playing a couple of months ago with, with a couple of people who I don't know who they were if they were Villa representatives or, or people who knew Jack Grealish and he broke his rule just for that one round of golf because he wanted he was so keen to talk to them about the ways that he could improve Grealish as a footballer where he could play so maybe he hasn't had a great summer but I'm hoping that round of golf was a highlight um <laughs> Raj coming to you on Lukaku which I think you know at the time of recording it hasn't been announced by the time we finish recording it may well have been it's going to be fairly imminent um, he's a player who, in my opinion, um, doesn't get the respect that he necessarily deserves from a, a large selection of English football fans. Uh, how do you think he'll fit in with uh, Thomas Tuchel's style of football at Chelsea? Yeah, I see him as a real like, magic bullet signing, really. He solves the big issue that Chelsea had last year, a goal scorer. I think Tuchel went through a whole raft of strikers. He played Werner at front, Havertz at front, Giroud, Tammy Abraham, less so. But all four of those options he w- weren't really ideal for him weren't obviously wasted on the chances. Havertz, he preferred using a more of a creative role in the end. Um, but then, yeah, so Lukaku, he's got that goal-scoring uh, threat. Uh, we know that straight away. And the one thing you, you like to see from Lukaku recently, his link-up plays improved significantly. And I think that will help in the Chelsea system. He'll have two forwards in that 3-4-3 very near to him that he can play off, which he did with Lautaro Martinez for Inter Milan. And the likes of Havertz and Werner and Mount buzzing around him, I think that's a lethal combination. 
Yeah, unbelievably excited to see Lukaku back at the club. Um, and Raj, a lot of people who maybe don't follow a lot of European football would have seen Thomas Tuchel come into the club, uh, taking over what was effectively a bit of a mess uh, after Frank Lampard's reign and immediately go and win the Champions League. And we'll see him as some kind of a, a magician. Do you, you know, he's obviously an elite level manager. Do you think it's fair to assume that under Tuchel, Chelsea will continue to be such a strong force? Yeah, definitely. The, the, you can see uh, strong tactical principles in how Tuchel plays. Number one, he wants the back three that he plays to be very proactive, going out of the defensive line to compress the space uh, ahead of them. So he doesn't want uh, players running at the back three. He wants to be the proactive one on the front foot and squeezing the pitch, high up the pitch. And, the, and with that, the pressing fits with that as well. They became a much better pressing side under Tuchel. Um, and then even on occasions, they were very good at counter-attacking too. That's how they really won the Champions League, to be honest. They tore Man City apart on the counter-attack number of times. Same with Real Madrid. So, yeah, there's very strong tactical principles there. Um, and so, yeah, I, I fully expect him to continue along the same vein as last season. Do you reckon they're the closest challenges to, to City? I do have one concern about Chelsea. Is I did, there were a couple of games that stood out in Tuchel's short reign. Um, the Arsenal and Brighton games towards the end of the last season were two little chinks in the armour, I think. Um, I think he does slightly struggle when teams park the bus against him. That's one thing. So I'm expecting to show a bit more variation in what system he plays. We saw at PSG, he liked to use a 4-4-2 and a 4-2-3-1 at times. So I think for Chelsea to win the title, I think he might need to revert away from that 3-4-3 on occasion when he's coming against a very packed defence. So yeah, I think that might be a crucial thing for Chelsea to win the title. My personal pick, I'll probably go into later on, I think Liverpool will be the nearest challenges again to Man City. But Chelsea, I think, will be there or thereabouts as well. All right, we're going to come back to you on Liverpool in just a second, but I'm going to come over to Mark now. Um, Mark, you've said a second ago that if you disagree with City's price, then you're wrong. Um, so I'm a bit scared of asking you who you think the better is at the top end of the market. But um, I'll give you free reign. Either take us on, on Chelsea's price or you can pick up off Raj on, on Liverpool or, or give us uh, why Manchester, Manchester United might be the closest challengers if you want to go that way. They won't be United. Um, <laughs> yeah, um, so logic suggests City win the league, but if you're having a bet, and if I'm having a bet in this market, I'm, I'm back in Chelsea, uh, five to one each way. I think that's a fair price. What Tuchel achieved almost overnight was astonishing, really. Uh, the defence was exceptional under his watch, two goals conceded in his first 14 games, just crazy figures, really. And the number of top-class managers he got the better of in one-off games as well. You know, it was like a, a who's who of the greatest coaches in the world. Uh, he did it all with that misfiring attack, which the guys have talked about, winning the Champions League, runners-up in the FA Cup, getting top four. Um, you know, it's, it was so, so impressive. And if he does complete the team now with a striker, uh, Haaland obviously isn't going to be coming, but Lukaku does look like he's going to arrive. You know, they're just going to be better and better. And we we'll expect more from Werner and Havertz this season as well. Um, I think moving clubs, moving countries, cultures, mid-pandemic is always going to be difficult. You're not going to have your friends or family around you to help you sort of bed in. Um, I think they'll be refreshed. I think they'll be ready to go and make a difference. And I think there is a criticism towards Tuchel that sometimes he can be a bit more of a, a cup coach or a coach for a, a one-off game against a, a sort of a smarter brain, um, whereas kind of getting the results against the lesser lights, which I think Raj was sort of talking there as well about the teams who might come in and pack the bus. Uh, I think that's where Chelsea do need to improve on if they've got someone like Lukaku, if they get improvement out of Werner and Havertz as well. Uh, I think, again, just like City, you look at the Arsenal they've got going forward in terms of attacking players to game changers. Uh, it, it's quite frightening, really. And I think crucially as well, if you look at Tuchel's reign and look at the projected figures in terms of the underlying data, expected points, XG, uh, all those kind of savvy metrics, 
you know, Chelsea weren't far off City uh, under Tuchel's charge at all. Uh, they were basically the second best team in the league by a distance and not too far off City either. So if they can reach those standards, uh, I don't see any reason why they can't have a, a sustained challenge towards the top this time around. Mark, very cheeky of you to say the word Arsenal there. Some Arsenal fans watching just spat out their coffee thinking you're talking about them before they realise that actually you're talking about Chelsea. Um, Raj, we'll come back to you then on Liverpool because you've already told us who you think are the bet. Six to one they are with Betway best price. That's also uh, each way terms a third two. And I'm guessing this might have something to do with a few players being back from injury this season. Yeah, I think that's big, obviously. The centre-back area really did trouble them uh, last season. Obviously, they've got Van Dijk back, Gomez back, Matic back. They've all played pre-season matches. And then the new guy, Ibrahim Konate as well. So the depth has extremely transformed, basically, from what they had towards the end of last season. But I think it's not just the centre-back. I think there's one thing that a lot of people miss. It was Fabinho being taken out of the midfield mm. and being put into defence. If you look at Liverpool's record with Fabinho starting in midfield after that game where Van Dijk got injured, Fabinho started eight games in midfield. Liverpool won all eight of them. So I think that shows he's a big factor, not just the centre-backs being fit. And obviously they lost Diogo Jota as well over the Christmas period, just before the Christmas period. I think that kind of matched their slump uh, where they didn't win at Anfield for six or seven games, I think it was. So those two are other, as well as the centre-backs, those two are the other two factors, I think. Um, but then I think to get in, in really into title contention, there's one other factor, and I think that's Sadio Mane. He had a really poor season last year for his standards. Mane was arguably uh, Liverpool's player of the season in that 2019-20 title winning campaign. So if he can get back to those levels, I think that will be the crucial factor for Liverpool being in the title race. Yeah, absolutely. I was looking earlier at the top goalscorer markets that we'll get on to later and saw he was 25 to 1 and luckily spotted before I placed my bet that, of course, it is AFCON next year, which means uh, that those players will be missing a few games, but a return to form for him will surely be absolutely massive. On then from Liverpool and on to the final team that we haven't spoken about yet of this big four. And Josh, I'll give you the task of talking us through Manchester United's chances. 17 to 2 they are to win the league. And I can't help but feel, but if you looked at their first 11, when you took out all context of previous seasons, you'd think they should be a lot shorter than 17-2, to two, but at the same time, I'm not rushing to bat them. For sure, yeah. I think there's a, there's obviously an understandable excitement about Manchester United this summer with the transfers of the players that they've brought in, but I still think there are a few factors at play. Obviously, Solskjaer, is he the right manager to take them from second to first? He's, I think he's he's done well to get them to second, but not many people probably thought that based on his record at Cardiff. But um, yeah, so he, there's obviously that one big um, elephant in the room of him. But to get <laughs> to, to get Varane and Sancho in for that sort of price, I think they've done really well there. It doesn't mean much, but um, to get both in for the same amount Dortmund wanted for Sancho last summer is pretty good going. And I think if you look on paper, Sancho being £30 million cheaper than Grealish doesn't really make sense. But I mean, that sort of stuff doesn't really make much difference in the pitch. But I think the one issue I have, well, the couple of issues, I think obviously Solskjaer, is he really good enough to take them to that next new, level? New four-year deal. Yeah, well, they certainly believe so, but it's whether he can do it or not it remains to be seen. But I think the really big issue, particularly with Solskjaer, as it seems like he wants to go to a more attacking 4-3-3 formation, I don't think they have a defensive midfielder that's good enough to, to really make that work. Matic isn't the Matic that he was at Chelsea. Fred is still a bit... He's, come, he's improved since his first season, but... I mean, he can still be a bit of a liability sometimes. Um, I think if you just scan across the, the, their rivals and who they have in that position, as Raj said with Fabinho, the impact that he makes when he's in that position. Chelsea have got Kante. City have got 
Fernandinho and Rodri. I just think Man United are really short in that area and it doesn't seem like they're going to strengthen there with Pogba staying, Lingard probably staying as well. And I think that is probably where they will fall short in a title challenge. Mark, do you think they've got what it takes to be in amongst it? Yeah, I think playing personnel, they definitely have. But uh, as we go back to Solskjaer, do they have the the coaching and tactical acumen to to get the better of a Pep Guardiola, a Tuchel or a Klopp over a 38-game season? And that's where my doubt comes in. Um, you know, last, last season, United struggled really against the better teams in the league. And Solskjaer has this obsession with kind of playing defensive counter-attacking football in those big games, which... You know, he's, he's trying not to get beat and try and nick games in one-off situations, which may work, but I don't think it's conducive to, to mounting a title challenge. Um, you know, at times as well last season, they were conceding early goals, conceding frequently the first goal in matches. And of course, they, they recovered to, to pick up loads of points and quite impressive in that sort of term, in that sort of area. But again, it's not conducive to, to a title winning team either. So are we going to see the best of Pogba? We saw it in the Euros, but we haven't seen it often enough with United under Solskjaer. Uh, so that's a doubt. And, you know, Varane and Sancho will certainly improve that starting 11. But uh, I, I can see them improving. And look, Solskjaer has performed above my expectations in the role. But, uh, you know, can you trust him to win the title? I can't personally. It's interesting because I can't really remember a situation in football ever before, especially in such a high, high profile club where you've got a fan base who are so um, happy with their manager and, and a really right behind him you know the the contract itself was welcomed basically by the fan base and then everybody watching on seems basically convinced that as a tactician he is lacking like Raj can you can you make the defense for Oli here I mean clearly in terms of what he's done at the club in terms of building a a more positive atmosphere about recruiting in the right areas has been very positive but I still get the feeling that if you were to put Pep Guardiola Thomas Tuchel or Jurgen Klopp in charge of this squad of players then they'd be a lot shorter than 17-2 to two to win the league. Yeah, definitely. I think it goes back to what Mark was saying about the heavy reliance on the counter-attack. I think that is Solskjaer's preferred method of coaching. And as Mark said, I don't think that's conducive to a, a season-long title challenge. I think United had the perfect conditions for a title challenge last year, I think. The other contenders, Chelsea got off to a bad start with Lampard. Liverpool obviously struggled with injuries. And still, they only hit 74 points. And in the end, were a distant second from Man City. Um, and the thing, also I go back to at the start of the season, I think they've got a few issues in their attack. Because obviously Marcus Rashford's going to be missing uh, with his shoulder surgery. Cavani's certainly just come back to training, or he may not even come back yet. Um, Sancho hasn't had a training session yet, or he may have had his first one today. So I think the start of the season in particular is going to be tricky for them. Um, and will they lose ground? That, that, that might be my big concern for them as well. I'd just like to jump in there, that's all right. Um... I think, in, to be fair, in Solskjaer's defence last season, I think that they had the shortest pre-season of any team. I don't. I think they only had like three days pre-season with all of their players. But certainly with this season as well, it seems like they've got their their business done early with Sancho and Varane. But as you say, Sancho's first training session was today, five six days out for them from the Premier League mm-hmm. season, and Varane may only have one training session before their game against Leeds. So it seems like they've had their, done their business done early, but. The, the, the new signs haven't even trained yet, so I do think that is a problem. It seems to be more of a more more, more of a problem every year, where we're getting to the beginning of the season and, and squads are either half cooked in terms of recruitment or have barely even got to 
um, training yet. Uh, hopefully that'll change when we have our first proper summer um, next year without a major tournament or anything. Uh, let's look then at the other teams towards the top end, uh, but who aren't expected, at least by the bookies, to challenge for the title. As I mentioned, Leicester, Tottenham, Arsenal, Leeds, Villa, the next in the betting. But let's look at the top four odds because that's where... I guess um, you're probably going to be looking for some value uh, to crash that party and qualify for the Champions League. Leicester are nine to two, Arsenal five to one, best price. Uh, Spurs five to one, Leeds twelve to one, uh, Everton twelve to one, West Ham eighteen to one, uh, Aston Villa twenty five to one. Mark, out of those, who do you think makes the most appeal to uh, to mix it with the big boys? Uh, the two at the top of the market, um, I think Leicester are probably the obvious one. So I'll take Arsenal if you want because mm. I think. I do quite like them coming into this season. Um, I think they're coming into the campaign reasonably under the radar, quite quietly. I know the bookmakers don't necessarily believe that, judging by the prices. But, you know, Mikel Arteta is starting to get a tune out of that side last season. They were the joint fourth best teams in terms of points return in the second half of the campaign. I think they were second since Boxing Day. Uh, They actually won 47 points from their final 24 games, finished with the third best defence as well. Goal scoring was the issue last year. Um, Bamiang had a really sort of curious and below par campaign, but Pepe came into his own in the second half of the season. We saw Saka and Smith Rowe continue their sort of uh, emergence. Uh, I expect all of those players to improve on last season. Uh, there's some quite exciting players there and game changers too. Uh, of course, there's no European action to worry about. Ben White will upgrade the defence. Hopefully, we'll get more out of Thomas Partey if he can stay fit. And I think Granit Xhaka has proven himself in international level, but he is a capable player at the top level. Can Arsenal get the best out of him alongside Partey? I think that's a decent partnership. So, yeah, I do think they're flying slightly under the radar. Uh, I think top four is probably a little bit beyond them, considering the the teams above them in the market. But um, expected points at Arsenal down as uh, being the sixth best team in the Premier League last season. So if they can start finishing their dinner and doing a bit more in the final third, then they should be there or thereabouts. 11 to 8 best price Arsenal are at the moment uh, with 888 Sport for a top six finish, which Mark, I'm guessing by your yeah, uh, nod of the head there, that's uh, agreement uh, for that one. Uh, we'll talk about Leicester now. And Raj, just want to ask you, because it seems to me like, Kind of sneakily, Leicester have had one of the best windows of anyone in the Premier League in signing Pats and Dakar and uh, Bibakari Samare, two very young, very exciting talents, and not for a massive outlay either. I mean, you consider how close they were to the, you know, to the top end of the table last season. It feels like the bookies, the punters, uh, are maybe sleeping on Leicester a bit to, to continue progressing. Yeah, completely agree with you. And I think the Community Shield is a great demonstration of that. Mm. I think those options that he's got now with Dak and Samare, it's given him such tactical flexibility. I think he started the game with a 4-2-3-1, Brendan Rodgers, with Madison as a 10 behind Vardy. Second half, he flips it to more of a 4-4-2. Kalecci, Iheanacho, who had a brilliant end to the season, and Pats and Dakar at front. And it caused Man City some big issues. So he's got several options on how he wants to set up his side now. He can also flip to a three at the back. Um, that, so yeah, he's got plenty of options there, and I think yeah that they're my actual favourites to challenge the top four, um, and probably the strongest team. I think um, I think Dapper in particular is a brilliant signing. He profiles so similarly to Jamie Vardy, who mm. I think had a bit of a drop off last season. His runs in behind are perfectly timed. We had a glimpse of that against Man City. So yeah, I think that's a brilliant signing from Leicester. Can I just just highlight something on on Leicester while we're on it? Because I think it's just really quite interesting from a betting perspective. So Leicester in the top six market are 11 to 10, uh, I believe, 2.1. So you can back Leicester to finish in the top six at that price. Alternatively, if you go on odds checker, there's a market without the big six 
Leicester are priced up at 13 to 8, 2.63 in that market. So wow. if they're going to finish in the top six, you'll consider them to probably <laughs> win the without the big six <laughs> market as well, considering they're up against Everton, Leeds, West Ham, Villa, possibly Brighton. Um, so I think there's a, a massive discrepancy there and something that punters should be jumping upon. Yeah, interesting 13 to 8 there. I think, is it not about time we could call it the big seven? I kind of feel like that. You know, Leicester have won the Premier League more recently than most of those teams in that so-called big six and uh, have a manager who I think is... Anyway, I mean, that's probably on for a different podcast, but um, one for the, the betting markets next year. Uh, Josh, what do you think in terms of, of these teams that are just sitting outside the uh, the big four? <laughs> <laughs> I just have to echo the sentiments of everyone about Leicester, really. I think there's, I think Brendan Rodgers, when he came back, he was just ridiculed nonstop. And I think he's... Still now, I think he still gets... Um, taking the mick out of a bit, but he's shown what a great coach he is. I think my only now concern for Leicester is Wesley Fofana, his injury. Yeah, I think that's left them quite short. Johnny Evans obviously has his own injury problems um, throughout the season. And I think that does leave them a little bit short at centre-back. Um, but yeah, the the signings they've made really early in the window as well. Like these, they haven't really been dragging things on. They've got these through the door, early doors, and I think they, they're going to be really strong again. And they're, they're certainly ready to take the top four if any of those big spenders above them slip up. Yeah, they will. Uh, the last uh, team we have to mention that are yet to get a mention in this big seven are Tottenham. And Josh, I'll stay with you here because it's been an interesting summer for Spurs. One of the longest managerial searches mm. we've seen, which ended in Nuno Espirito Santo, who I think we can probably all agree wasn't the first choice um, of the club. Uh, but some interesting transfer business as well. Uh, Pierluigi Gallini uh, has come in uh, as the keeper on loan from Atlanta, a player that I don't think Aston Villa fans expected to pop up at Tottenham a couple of years after leaving there. And, uh, and Brian Gill, a player that I think a lot of Spurs fans are very excited to see as well. Uh, is this a season of transition for Spurs or do you think they could hit the ground running? I think it's certainly a season of transition. I think it, it's so difficult to know what we're going to get from Tottenham this season because it hinges so much on what happens with Harry Kane. Mm. If he if he stays, he's he's made it clear that he doesn't want to stay, how is he going to cope? Like, how's his, where's his head going to be at if he does stay? And then if he does leave, who do they replace him with? They, I know there's been a lot of talk of signing strikers to partner with Harry Kane, but I do think that it's all just talk to retain his value. I do think if they do sign a striker, it will mean Harry Kane does leave. Um, Lautaro Martinez, that would have been a really exciting signing, but it does seem that he's going to stay in Italy. But I just think there's so much, so much stuff that's up in the air with Tottenham at the moment. It's hard to really nail down how they're going to perform this season. Yeah, absolutely. Anything for you guys to add on Spurs? Yeah, I think the striker, obviously, if Kane leaves, I think the, the, whoever they're replacing with is going to be a crucial signing. The one link I liked was the Dusan Vlahovic link from Fiorentina. He pretty profiles pretty similar to Harry Kane when he wasn't more of a playmaker back in his earlier Spurs days. But I think that would be a top signing. And I think all of the chaos around the manager and the uh, some of the signings and transfer links, that has detracted from a couple of issues in the squad. I think their wide options are still a bit lacking. Um, Steven Bergwijn, Lucas Moura, they haven't been consistent for a good two years now, really. So I think those issues still exist. Can they get the best out of Deli Alli? Uh, Nuno looks to be using him in pre-season. Hungmin Son's being used as a striker whilst Kane's been away. So yeah, I think there is a plenty of issues to sort out there, uh, which is why I wouldn't really back them to get into the top four scramble. 
yeah, maybe a season uh, to leave Spurs well alone. Uh, Mark, before we get into the relegation battle, or hopefully these teams won't be involved, but gone are the days where the mid-table of the Premier League was a bit of a boring slugfest because you've now got some of the most exciting players in the league, in my opinion, turning up at the likes of, of Leeds and Aston Villa. Of course, West Ham last season had a cracking campaign under David Moyes. Uh, Everton losing uh, Carlo Ancelotti, but still retaining plenty of the players that he, that he brought in. Can we see any of these teams look to... I mean. I think all of them, their fans will have aspirations to try and push into Europe this season. Do you think that is viable for any? Yeah, I think it's going to be difficult to, to finish above the top six. If, if you can finish sixth or seventh, I think it'll be a very, very good season for any of those any of those sides. Uh, Everton, I think it's quite hard <clears throat> excuse me, to know what to make of them um, with Rafa coming in there. I think we know what we're going to expect to, of them on the field. Uh, I think Calvert-Lewin feels like a very Benitez player. So Corey and Allen as well. You've got the set-piece delivery of Dean, um, but Richarlison's going to be exhausted. He's been away on the Copper America and Olympics duty. Mm. Uh, Damari Gray, you know, has to start performing consistently as well. And then there's a the question about James Rodriguez, who is still there, but by the sounds of it, probably wants out. So I think they'll be solid mid-table. Leeds, I don't expect anything else but what we saw last season from them. Fantastic. Uh, Junior Firpo coming in at left-back for Alioski, I think, is, is reasonable. Um, the big question is, can Bamford do it again? Uh, there's no reason to doubt him after last season. So, yeah, I think Villa are the one who I just don't know about at the moment because of the Grealish factor. But in terms of signings, Buendia, Bailey and, and Ings, you know, fantastic mm. business done there. But Grealish, with him in the team, 1.73 points per game last season, without him dropped to, to 0.93. So, you know, it doesn't take a genius to work out. He's a real talisman, so influential, not just as a skipper, but as a playmaker. But you have got three players there, particularly Buendia, uh, who could possibly step in and do a job for Villa. So out of all of them, I probably expect Villa to be the one to be pushing up towards 7th, 8th at the moment. But uh, yeah, I think it's difficult to see any of those kind of finishing in the top six. Raj, with Villa, is there an argument to say that having a player like Grealish, who of course you know was everything in terms of their attacking output, and actually they were pretty imbalanced. You know, they didn't really have any uh, similar talent on the other side this season. Could they improve even for the lack of such an amazing talent? Because finally they're going to be able to um, have a two-pronged attack maybe than just a lopsided one. Yeah, it's interesting you say that. I was looking at some stats the other day on, on who scored, actually. Um, I think there you go. Villa, <laughs> I think Villa were second to only Man United in terms of funneling attacks down the left side of the pitch. Um, so that shows how the impact that Grealish had. I think Buendia, he likes drifting into that right-hand channel. So that'll add balance on that side. Leon Bailey as well, as, as you said. Will Watkins play out wide uh, 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 with Danny Ings up front. So they've definitely got more threats now. And I think that will definitely help. Um, so, yeah, I, I think it could, it could be a case you become more, uh, become more of an unpredictable side. Yeah, interesting to see. I'm sure there might be some more money spent at Villa as well. Uh, still being linked to the likes of Todd Cantwell too. So we'll see what happens there. Uh, we'll move into the relegation battle now. And it is, of course, the three promoted teams from the Championship that occupy the three favourite slots for relegation. Uh, Norwich, even money to drop back down. Uh, Watford, uh, about the same price, even money too. Surprising, I think, we'll, we'll touch on this in a second, to see that Brentford are priced up as being the least likely, albeit marginal, um, to get relegated. They're 13 to 10, or actually 6 to 4 they are, uh, best price. That's with Betway. Palace, 7 to 4, or the EFL All-Stars, as I like to call them now. Uh, Burnley, 5 to 2. Newcastle, 3 to 1. Uh, Southampton nine to two, Wolves five to one with their new manager Bruno Lager, and uh, Brighton are eight to one. And then we get into the teams we've just been discussing, who I think none of us really mentioned them as relegation candidates. So we probably steer clear of them. And Josh, you have the en enviable role 
for going first up and telling us who you think is the the bet to, to get relegation to get relegated this season. I think this every year with Newcastle, <laughs> but I, I think, <laughs> and they end up finishing well clear of relegation. But I think this season will be the one. I think they've had another terrible transfer window. Um, Joe Willock, it sounds like they're finally going to get him through, which is obviously great and a no-brainer for them. But it would be pretty special if he can continue the way that he finished last season. I think they, I hope they don't expect him to to score every game. But <laughs> that would be, yeah, I would be a bit concerned for them. And with, with fans, I know the Newcastle fans are amazing, but having them back in, they'll certainly let their voices be heard if things do go wrong pretty quickly. Um, yeah, I worry a bit for, for Newcastle and Steve Bruce. Yeah, so they are three to one currently with Bet Victor and Bet Fred. Uh, Mark, I know you love your EFL as as much as I do. And normally, when we're talking about EFL sides who've come up, we only talk about three. But Crystal Palace have brought so many starlets from from the league below that I kind of feel like they're the fourth EFL club in this uh, in this conversation. But are you surprised? I mean, for me, looking at this market, it looks to me like it's a massive opportunity because I'm not entirely sure that certainly Norwich are being afforded the respect that they deserve. And it feels like they're being priced up on a season that happened over 12 months ago. Now, um, how do you assess their chances and their place in the market? Yeah, it's curious considering they won the league uh, with what, 97 points. Was it in the yeah. end of the championship? Um, I know they've lost their best player, Emi Buendia, but um, you know, there's more to Norwich than Buendia. Um, he was absolutely outstanding last season, but uh, yeah, I mean, Considering what they did two seasons ago, where they did start with a bit of a flourish, didn't they? You remember that game against Liverpool away at Anfield Mm. on the opening night of the season when they put on a really good show. They beat Man City as well. Things really unravelled sort of after Christmas time and particularly when when the pandemic started as well. But, uh, you know, they've uh, they've shown that they're very capable by coming straight back and and doing so sublimely, really. They've changed tact a little bit. They're not so gung-ho. They're a bit more sort of savvy about how they approach games, particularly at the back. So, yeah, I am surprised to see them labelled as kind of the top of the market, the relegation market. But um, I think normally when I look at the relegation market, I immediately look at the promoted teams and just scrub them out because maybe it's a bit of a love towards the EFL, but I always think they're at the top of the market for a reason and people are going to back them because they don't know so much about them compared mm. to the teams they see on match today every week. So there's less little value on them at any time of the week. So um, you mentioned Palace. Palace are the ones that stick out to me. Um it's a club going through a bit of a rebuild this summer. Um, but firstly, it's the direction that they're trying to take, which kind of confused me a little bit like Spurs in the summer. You know, replacing Roy Hodgson didn't seem to be a clear plan or an idea about what they wanted from a, the next coach. You know, Hodgson, a, a very sort of defensive, pragmatic, conservative coach. But they were going for some elaborate names. You prefer attacking football, expansive football. Then they're sort of going back to the sort of pragmatic style as well. And they ended up settling on Vieira, who... To me, is a gamble. Um, I can't confess to know a huge amount about Stinton in the MLS, but I watched his Nice team quite regularly. He tried to overhaul their style, tried to make them exciting, tried to make them interesting, but they were absolutely, well, they were dreadfully dull. They just stood still in Ligue 1. Um, it all ended quite abruptly and prematurely, and I didn't see a coach ready to make the step up, really. Um, he was very critical of his players, accused of kind of lacking man management skills, chopped and changed his tactics, lacked creativity, inspiration. And they relied on their goalkeeper far too much. And I think this is a gamble from Palace. We saw what happened with Frank de Boer and we've seen how much they've tried to change in, in you know, just a couple of weeks, couple of months, really. Half the squad has left. And yes, the players coming in are, are quite exciting and, and interesting. You know, I like all their signings, but it's just the succession planning and the long-term planning at Palace, which really kind of concerns me. Not just that, you've got AFCON coming in in January as well. I think Palace got four or five players eligible for that. And yeah, I think they're only going to miss two games, but the knock-on effects of fatigue and pressure... You know, playing for your, your international team, 
you know, bound to some of them have a, a loss of form somewhere along the line. So I am concerned about Palace, and I'll tell you what, I really would not be surprised if they're calling Sam Allardyce up for a rescue mission at Christmas oh. because um, <laughs> I fear for them, and I think they're, they're the bet for me. Please, please, please don't give Sam Allardyce, Michael Olise, a Berryese <laughs> Zaha. I mean, that would just make me... It's a plausible cry. situation, isn't it? But, you then, know, but, I, but I was going to say, because I have been back and forth over this, and, and now, given the transfer of dealings, there's no way I'm going to be backing Palace go down because they're basically my, my second team or my Premier League team for this season, given who they brought in. But I, I often find in this market, you can often get stung with new managerial appointments where, yes, it looks quite ropey on paper, but the squad looks good enough that you're not concerned backing them at seven to four. They might have a change in the dugout by October and have somebody much more um, suited to this squad. Um, and then you're suddenly you're looking at you know a short price where it's, you're, you're thinking with the bet was proven so right that they've actually got an upgrade mm. in the manager. That's always a concern. Yeah, I mean you've got to look at the price and think is the price worth taking now or worth taking later? Um, I think Palace were going to trend downwards under Vieira. Um, I think it's going to be a difficult campaign, but yeah, it all depends then on who they who they select as their new manager. We saw last season clubs chop and change, some more successful than others. We talk about Allardyce, uh, didn't get the bump he, does, he expected from West Brom. Um, so, you know, sometimes these clubs are in a, a downward spiral and it's difficult to, to, to turn that ship around. But uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's not an inspiring market, put it that way, the relegation market this season. There's not a huge outsider who I, I really want to get behind. There's a few, I I think, you know, if I rule out the, the, the newly promoted teams, uh, like Josh said, I think Newcastle are a runner, Burnley are a runner, Palace are a runner, and Southampton are a runner. So you, know, you just look at the four teams outside of the, the mm. newly promoted three. But uh, yeah, Palace, just because of the the way things have gone over the summer, uh, does concern me, despite the signings who, on paper, look decent. Right, well, if the, par- if the Palace hierarchy attempted to give Sam a call... Uh, during the season, please give me a call first, and we'll, we'll find someone. We'll find someone better suited. Uh, Raj, who do you see struggling uh, this season? Yeah, I actually see Brighton are struggling this season. I think they've had a very disappointing transfer window. I expected them to address their issue up front. They haven't really signed a striker. I think they're going to go in with Neil Morpé again at the start of the season. He hasn't been clinical enough during his time there. I really did expect them to get a goal scorer in, and then at the back, they've obviously lost Ben White. And I expected them to keep uh, my local team's Coventry. So I saw a lot of Leo Ostergaard mm. last year. And I thought Brighton would keep him. So he, I saw him as a natural fit to p- replace White in the back three. He's a brilliant ball player. Um, he's decent in the air. So he's off to Stoke, look, isn't he? I think. Yeah, he's off to Stoke. So I was very surprised at that. And it looks like Shane Duffy's been getting a run in pre-season. So I'm not sure about that one. And then they've also <laughs> been linked with Nat Phillips as well. And I don't think Nat Phillips is a Potter kind of centre-back. So I've got a few worries about them. Um, and again, the other op- other problem they've got uh, is that left wing back in their three four three system or three five two system that they, they haven't really upgraded on Sonny March or Dan Byrne, and those two are two real weak links for me in that Brighton side. Um, they've been linked with Mark Cucurella. He he would be an excellent signing, but they haven't got any of these signings over the line. I think they've linked with Darwin Nunez up front as well. But I see a few holes in that uh, starting eleven, which I think might get to see them being dragged to the bottom. Right, Raj. I'll tell you what we can agree on. Brighton make a poor start, sack Graham Potter, Graham Potter goes in at Selhurst Park. That'd be absolutely fine with me. I'll take that all day long. Um, Interesting you say that with Brighton. And and I must say, for a club who is so well run, given their 
absolute embarrassment of riches at centre back. If they end up if they end up short in that position after what they've had, then that is um, yeah unforgivable. Uh, the one team we haven't mentioned in this chat, and I'm I'm going to come back to you on on Southampton, Mark. So I don't think I think Saints fans will want to hear a bit more from you than just throwing them into the mix as you just did. Um, but with Bruno Lager, the new the new Wolves manager, um, I'll put it to the floor. Any of you um, tell us a bit about him and his playing style and what we can expect from him? No one. <laughs> I think that's why I ignored them. Just a, they're a bit of a wild card for me. I don't want to yeah. put my neck on the line with someone that I not to, don't have that much knowledge about. I think Benfica definitely play a more expansive style of football than Nuno played last season, for example. I think that he'll, he'll definitely try and get the ball on the ground. I think a big um, uh, protagonist in his Benfica side was uh, Julian Weigel. That kind of shows you what kind of football he likes to play. Weigel is a very comfortable ball-playing midfielder. Adel Tarak as well had a big role in his side. So I think we'll see that. And I think if they can keep hold of Neves, who's been linked to we'll move away, Neves and Moutinho, I think, will excel in this system compared to Nuno's. Um, I was a bit disappointed that Wolves let go of Vitinha. I thought he he had a chance to really kick on in this Wolves side in the Lager, but they haven't really um, signed a number 10 to replace him either. Um, so, yeah, I think they will, we will see a more expansive style of play. Yeah, that, they're the ones, not that anyone wants to know, but they'll be the ones I'd pro- probably be backing at the current prices. Purely, if, I mean, if you're looking at manager trends, um, I remember he was, I think it was when Oli was coming under some pressure at United, he was being linked to the United job after a few, after his first uh, half a season at Benfica. And then it all unravelled in such a, an aggressive way. I think he finished off with just two wins in his last 13. And that, if you're trying to change the style of football at a club after, you know, a long, long time of succession planning, well, Long, long-term planning under, under Nuno, it strikes me as a bit of a risk and one that could unravel quite quickly. Uh, so the price, I think, five to one, I said, didn't I? Yeah, five to one for Wolves seems fair. Um, Mark, with with Southampton, um, has Ralph Hasenhutl not done enough to show you that he is capable of keeping the Southampton team um, away from relegation? Yeah, he has. And I think that's the Southampton's key asset, really, is their head coach. I think he's you look at the, the teams around the relegation market, he probably is the elite coach down there. Um, and he will feel like he's not taking a step back, but he's got his reputation to to kind of look after here. And the way things have gone at Saints, you know, it hasn't been a, a huge success story. Um, you know, he did have them top in early November. It's, it's easy to be forget, forgotten. 16 points from their first eight games. But then the next 30 games returned just 27 points. And, mm. and no team who survived collected fewer points in that time as well. It's a small squad, so losing Danny Ings is is uh, is obviously a blow, depending on who they bring in. It might be Armstrong. Um, they're looking at Tammy Abraham as well, possibly both. I think if they get both, then fantastic. Uh, Armstrong clearly is capable and has got the ability to make the step up, but it's uh, still a big ask for him to, to kind of move straight into Danny Ings' shoes and produce the same sort of numbers and influence. Um, you know, it took Shea Adams a while to sort of adjust to the Premier League. Bertrand leaving as well just leaves another void. Ward Prowse's future is being talked about as well. So, um, yeah, I think there's a there's been a little, not as much recruitment as I expected from Saints this this summer. Um, I think they've got a really fragile defence individually. I think they're all more than capable to to play Premier League football. But at the moment, Hasenhutl doesn't seem to be get a tune out of them collectively. So, I think they need investment. I think there's a bleak mood around St Mary's at the moment, and uh, I do worry about them if things go go Pete Tong early doors. 
Yeah, some talk about Adam Armstrong maybe arriving at the club in the next couple of days, which would certainly provide some firepower, a scorer of goals and a scorer of very good goals as well at times too. Um, Josh, before we do move on, we should actually just talk about Brentford and, and Watford, especially with Brentford. They've waited long enough to be involved in this, these kind of podcasts, so I think we need to talk about them. Uh, how do you fancy their chances of, of sticking around for, for another season? I was just I was just so pleased they got up in the first place. Yeah. After so many years of near, near, nearly getting there, but yeah, I'm, I'm happy they're here. I'm happy they didn't have to lose some of their good players over the summer by not getting promoted like Ivan Tony. It'll be great to see him in the Premier League. Um, it'll be weird that there could be a couple of Newcastle, former Newcastle strikers in Tony and, Am- and Adam Armstrong mm. probably quite well, but just not at Newcastle in the Premier League. Um, but yeah, it'll be great to see how they get on. I'm, I'm not sure have they signed. I'm not sure if they've signed a right back yet to replace Dalsgaard. He left I don't in. think so. Uh, so I don't, I don't know what's going on there. But um yeah, it'll be great to see. I think they're going to be a breath of fresh air. They've obviously just got into the new stadium as well last season. Or was it last season? Um, yeah, last season was their first full season, yeah. But it's obviously they'll have fans in it this this time. Um, but yeah, I'm really looking forward to seeing how they get on. I, I don't think they'll... I don't think they're going to struggle. I, I think it'll be tough for them, but I don't think they're going to be. They're going to struggle too much, to be honest. I think everyone can look forward to some quite interesting interviews from uh, Thomas Frank uh, on Match of the Day. Certainly a manager who wears his heart on his sleeve. But they are... Uh, yeah, I mean, they're a side where they're so well run um, and so well drilled. And the, and the, the Brentford of old that we, that we remember under Dean Smith, where it was very attacking football, they still have that in their locker, but they are fundamentally a very, very good defensive side. And I think teams that come up with that strong unit at the back are normally pretty successful in, in looking to to uh, to survive. Um, so fingers crossed. And I think for Brentford fans, having missed, having waited so long to get promoted, having missed um, the chance to, to be there for the whole season, I'm looking forward to them being able to go to their new home and watch their, their team in the Premier League this coming season. Uh, hopefully they all go well. Um, we're going to go now. We've spoken about a lot of managers there, so we're going to go to the top goal scorer market at the end. But a, a market that I always find fascinating is the first manager to leave market, where we've got, unsurprisingly, maybe this is the time we'll talk about Watford. We've got Cisco Munoz as the uh, six to one favourite ahead of the aforementioned Patrick Vieira, soon to be replaced by Graham Potter. Although that means Potter should be a shorter price <laughs> at fifteen to two. Steve Bruce is nine to one. Uh, Hassan Hootel is 10 to 1, Mikel Arteta 12 to 1, Rafa Benitez 14s, Daniel Farker 16s, Bruno Lager 16s, Thomas Frank 18 to 1, uh, Potter is 20 alongside Dean Smith, Nuno 25s, Daish 25s, Olegan Solskjaer is 33s, Bielsa 33s, Moyes 33s, 40 to 1 bar. Uh, Raj, coming to you here first, who do you reckon could be the first man we see sacked? So I quite like those odds on Rafa Benitez actually 14 to 1 because I think. The Everton fan base is still very much split on mm. his appointment. A lot of them don't want him in there. They're very There's a lot of vitriol uh, out to him on social media. I've seen in all the replies to a lot of the uh, Everton social media content, there's still a fans firmly against him. And I think it'll just take a slightest downturn in results. And I think the pressure will be heaped on top of him. And I don't really like their transfer window so far. Either Damari Gray, Andros Townsend, um, they're OK players. Damari Gray is very inconsistent. Townsend. I think we he, he's gradually just lost that bit of stardust he previously had. Um, he's workmanlike, but he won't offer you much more than that. And then if Hammers leaves on top of that, I think Everton won't be in for a great season. Rafa Benitez, 14-1 to 1 for the market with Paddy Power, Betfair and Betvictor. Mark? Um, so I talked about Southampton and um, Ralph Hasenthal appealed to me at 10-1. to 1. I know he's got a contract until 2024, which is always something to consider when looking at this kind of market, and that is a concern. Saints are probably having to spend out a decent whack to get rid of him, but 
considering what I spoke about in terms of the poor end of season form, the mood around St Mary's, the lack of investment, replacement of key players, the defence that's conceding goals. To me, it's a recipe for a relegation battle right now, and the board and the owners might not be expecting that. So you look at their opening fixtures, they go away to Everton, they also have to go away to City and Chelsea in the first seven. They host Man United as well. So, you know, there's it's going to be a difficult opening stanza for Saints. So mm-hmm. wouldn't take a, a huge amount for, for Southampton's form to sort of continue where they left off, really, and, and Hasen Atul's future to be under question. So he might even decide to, to walk away himself and try and keep his reputation intact. But, uh, yeah, Vieira would have been the one, but uh, I think his price reflects that. So uh, Ralph attends. Yeah, very emotional man, isn't he, on the touchline sometimes. You wouldn't think it would have to go too far wrong for him to walk away. Uh, 10 to 1 he is with Skybet and Betfair Sportsbook. Josh? I'm a bit disappointed it comes to me first because Benitez was actually my pick oh, as well. Oh, no, sorry. No, it's fine. Um, but yeah, just like Raj said, I think a lot of things could go wrong very quickly for Benitez. It wasn't a, an appointment that was celebrated by Everton fans. Um, and obviously, like um, we said earlier, Richarlison, I think it's safe to say that he'll miss the first month of the season, given how much he's played internationally this summer. Um, and yeah, Andrus Townsend, I think it's clear that Benitez just wants to swing a ball in and hope Calvert-Lewin can head them in. I think it's quite a clear style of play there that I don't think is particularly exciting. Oh, the disrespect is unbelievable <laughs> to Benitez there. <laughs> but um, yeah, I just don't think it's, and I don't know if it's just recency bias, but then watching them get spanked 4-0 by Man United in pre-season, I don't think that would have done much to lift spirits at, at Goodison. So yeah, I just wouldn't be surprised if things, maybe not the first manager, but I can see him going pretty quickly if things go wrong. Yeah, so as I say, 14 to 1. So, I mean, I can't believe no one's mentioned Cisco. I think this is, if I could only have one bet this season in the Premier League, this would be my bet as is, is Cisco at, at 6 to 1. I mean, there was, to, for context's sake, after their promotion last season, I mean, he took over. Vladimir Ivic was the manager at the beginning of the season. He did a terrible, terrible job. I mean, honestly, anybody could have done better than him. He came in and tried to play this turgid football with a very attacking squad. It didn't work. Cisco basically came in and just gave the team the freedom to play. And um, I don't think anybody thinks that he is necessarily a great manager. I don't think there's much in his history to, to suggest that he is either. And although Watford fans don't like you pointing it out, their record under the Pozzos is, um, for attacking managers is obviously fairly prolific. And I think the Pozzo family will probably know that um, if they were to dispense of their manager... The chances are they could find somebody better now that they're in the Premier League to take them on. I, I, I honestly think that if Watford have two or three bad results to start the season, he could be gone by the end of August. And at six to one, you know, Boyle Sports go three to one. I think that's probably just about a fair, um, a fair price. If you work out the ACA price of them getting one or two points in their first three games, that's basically the price I think he should be to be the first manager sacked. Um, I was almost surprised that he. Um, was given the job uh, for this season. I thought there was a chance they might part company uh, even after promotion, but we'll see on that. And then I think Lager at 16 to 1, another one where maybe if things don't go too well, Wolves will think, have we made a bit of a mistake here and look to uh, to cut ties pretty quickly. As you can tell, it's a market that I quite like that one. But um, yeah, my, my one tip for that one is, is Cisco at 6 to 1. That's with Paddy's Sportsbook, uh, Bet Victor, and Unibet. Uh, on then to the Premier League top scorer market. And this looks very different to how it normally looks. Normally we have four or five players vying for favouritism at single figure prices. This time we've got Harry Kane, 
for whom he pays, we do not know, uh, at 100 to 30. Um, Mohamed Salah is 9 to 2. Raheem Sterling, 20 to 1. Uh, Pierre Emerick Aubameyang is 25 to 1. Gabriel Jesus, 25s. Timo Werner, Bruno Fernandes, Sergio Mane, all 25 to 1 as well. Patrick Bamford and Jamie Vardy, both 28 to 1. Calvert Lewin, 33 to 1. Ings, 33 to 1. Uh, Jota, 33s. Uh, Son, 40s. Watkins, 40s. Loads of players down there. Edinson Cavani, 40 to 1 as well. Uh, there is um, a caveat to this where there will be a player fairly shortly who will be a single-figure price in Romelu Lukaku. We don't know what price he is at the moment. My guess would probably be what, around about the 92-4-1 mark, you'd think. Probably around about the same price as Salah. Um, so who do we think here? Because there seems, you know, if you've got the place terms of a quarter the four and you're 20 to one after the first three, you've got to think there's some value around to find a place. So Mark, I'll come to you first here. Yeah, so I've got two. I've got one from the top, uh, which um, I'm probably going to wait on just in case Lukaku does arrive and the price might move a little bit. But uh, if you're picking from the top, I'd be picking Salah, despite Calf gone. He's got 95 league goals for Liverpool, uh, an average of 24 per season. He's won the Golden Boot. He shared the Golden Boot. He's finished second and also in the places as well in his four seasons with Liverpool. Rarely misses games through injury, almost always called upon by Jurgen Klopp as well. Uh, I think he's missed seven Premier League games in 152 plus he's on penalties as well which I think is is always key for, for this market but uh, there's a few stats here which kind of led me into um, a bigger price bet um, in 16 of the last 19 seasons a player of 50 to 1 or larger has placed in the top goal scorer market and in 12 of those 19 seasons a player at 100 to 1 or larger has placed and also a player from outside of the big six has placed in the top goal scorer market in all bar two seasons since the Premier League uh, inception in 1992. So, yeah, I looked at those stats. Um, I, so I like the look of uh, even Tony at Brentford. Um, we've seen Charlie Austin make the step up from the Premier League with QPR and, and place. We've seen Patrick Bamford do it last season with Leeds. So um, I like the look of Brentford to go reasonably well this season. Um, not quite to the Leeds standards, but I do expect them to consolidate. Um, you talked about the sort of changing in style from Dean, Dean Smith to Thomas Frank. Um, but they still do look to play uh, on the right yeah, the right way, people mm. like to say. Uh, Tony's on penalties. His all-round game has been absolutely superb um, in the last couple of seasons. He's top scored in the League One and the Championship in the last two seasons. He's a natural-born finisher. His movement's brilliant. He's got pace. He's got power. He can pretty much do everything, really. And at 50-1, to one, uh, yeah, I think um, I'll take him each way because uh, I think if Brentford are going to score a reasonable amount, he's obviously going to be at the end of central to everything they do so yeah i think he's uh he's a reasonable shout at that price 50 to 1 bet 365 bet victor betway and ball sports couldn't agree with you more a man who is born to score goals and is guaranteed to play games so long as he's fit uh josh given what you said earlier about rafael benitez football presumably you're just going to be backing dominic calvert lewin because that's that's the game plan is it just just hit hit, hit dom <laughs> well if that goes well then he'll be up right up there but um yeah i'm not sure I will be putting my money on him. Nothing against Cavalier. I think he's a great striker. Just don't think Everton will go that well. Um, but yeah, I'm, as I thought, Chelsea will win the league this season. I think it's hard to look beyond Lukaku. But um, actually, it's an interesting market this year because if you look across the rivals, obviously, Aubameyang at Arsenal had a very weird season last year. City may go into the season without a regular striker. If Kane stays at Tottenham, you're you're not sure how he's going to go. Um, presumably disappointed he didn't get to leave. Cavani's not going to start 30 games. United. Um, Salah is, a, I think, is a great shout. But the one sign I'm really looking forward to seeing is Danny Ings at Villa. I think he could really rack up the goals if Villa's signings slot in quite nicely. I actually thought that um, Man City should have just done away with the Kane 
stuff and just got Ings in for this, obviously this season and beyond. But innings, you can obviously still afford to go and sign a Haaland next year or something like that for City. But they didn't and Villa obviously snapped him up out of nowhere, really. Um, but yeah, I'm just really looking forward to And Watkins is obviously a little bit of an injury doubt at the moment. Um, so yeah, I'm really looking forward to seeing how Ings goes. I think he could be a really good sign and get right up there. Yeah, Ings 33-1. to 1. It's interesting, there's that collection of four English strikers in Bamford, Vardy, Carver-Lewin and Ings who are 28-1, 28-1, 33-1 and 33-1 to 1, who are all basically going to start every game they're fit for a team who are likely to finish in the top half. So it feels like there could be some value there. Um, Raj, who do you see going well? Out of those four English ones, I'd probably say, yeah, I fancy Bamford out of those four if we're just looking mm. at that quartet. I think obviously Leeds play the most attacking brand of football and Bamford plays almost every game. My one concern with Ings is his soft tissue muscle injury record is yeah. not great. He picks up a lot of injuries for Southampton last season. I think he started either 26 or 27 games last season. So that's my only one concern with Ings. I, I, I agree with Mark with his top of the table shout of Mohamed Salah. I think he finished on 22 goals last year, one behind Harry Kane. I think Kane, obviously, whatever happens, if he stays, he might not be in the right frame of mind. If he goes to City, he won't probably immediately start. Pep will probably give him a chance to settle. So, yeah, I think I fancy Salah. Um, and also, because last season, he really thrives on that connection with Trent Alexander-Arnold. Last season, Trent wasn't on, on his best form for the first few months of the season. I expect Trent to, to start the season uh, like he finished the last one. So, I think Salah might even hit more than the 22 he hit last year. Wow. Yeah, interesting stuff. Salah there might even get more. Nine to two, the, the uh, agreement from the two guys there. So we're coming to the end of this Premier League preview. But before we go, going to ask the guys for their big prediction. I want to hear from you the double winner and top goal scorer. And I'll give you the price. So Raj, I'll come to you first. Who's going to win the league and who's going to be the top goal scorer? So I'm going to go for Man City to win the league and Mohamed Salah to win the uh, Golden Boot. That uh, is eleven to two with William Hill. Mark, is that a popular? Are you gonna are you gonna repeat the trick? <laughs> I, I was, but I'll, I'll differ just just for the sake of the show. Um, I'll take Chelsea to win the league and Salah to be top goal scorer. Chelsea to win the league and Salah to be top goal scorer is twenty eight to one. You're getting for that one. And uh, yeah, Josh, what are you after? For a second, I thought I was gonna have to change mine as well. But um, <laughs> I'm gonna go for Chelsea and Lukaku. So I imagine that'd be quite pretty the shortest of the three. I, it's not out there yet because Romelu hasn't signed. Course, but yeah. given, I think he'll be a similar price to Salah, um, in which case about the 28 to 1 mark. Uh, as you said, editor Liam is going to be absolutely buzzing listening to this. <laughs> last last year, he, he was sending us abusive messages after we were saying that we were doubting Frank Lampard, uh, which he then reminded us of before recording this. And we were like, yeah, look what happened, Liam. Like, it's, <laughs> I think we were proven right. Uh, but fingers crossed it'll be a more successful and happier um, season for Liam and for other Chelsea fans as well. Uh, plenty of bets in there, hopefully plenty of value too. Can't thank uh, Raj, Josh and Mark enough for sharing their thoughts with us today. Please make sure you do uh, download the Odds Checker app. On there you'll find the best prices, which I spoke of in terms uh, today. You'll also find so many markets. I mean, we've touched on the main ones there. But you can find plenty of other bits and bobs um, top regional clubs, all sorts of other things in there ahead of the big kickoff on Friday. Also find some of the best tipsters in the game, some bookie offers, free bets as well, all the necessary plates terms you can find there. Please do subscribe to the uh, Odds Checker YouTube channel as well, where you can find plenty more preview content across a host of different sports and feature content too. Uh, and you can find these podcasts on all podcast platforms as well. So please do enjoy the football. Hopefully we've flagged up some value. Uh, and please make sure that you gamble responsibly. 